Celebrate Halloween with dressed up donuts from Dunkin', like the spooky sweet Halloween spider donut. Trick or treat! Aren't you a little bit old to be trick or treating? Uh, no. This is, uh, it's just a really good uh, costume. Anyway, I hear you're giving out Dunkin' Spider Donuts? Didn't I just see you with your kid? No, that was just, uh, my friend. Psst, Dad, is it working? Run to Dunkin' all month long for the Halloween Spider Donut and get 10 Munchkin's Donut Hole Treats for $2. America runs on Dunkin'. Limited time offer. Participation may vary. This week at Restoration Place. No matter what you have done wrong, no matter, no matter, no matter how bad you think you messed up, no matter how low you stoop, if you yes, repent, yes. God will come back to you, and He will. He, he's obviously re, really never left you. People are doing what they feel is right in their own eyes, not even consulting God about what the decisions that they make, and these could be day-to-day -day decisions. We're not even consulting God. We, it's, it's almost like we don't even care. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Welcome to this place of restoration. Introducing Minister Thomas Gilbert. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise uh, the Lord. Praise the Lord. I will, um, <laughs> Pastor B is funny. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he tapped me on the shoulder. Uh, this, you know what? Please sit down. Um, he tapped me on the shoulder this morning after I was finished setting up the mic, and he said, um, do you need prayer for your shoulder? And I'm thinking, like, maybe he picked up something in the spirit or something. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> he's like, you need prayer for your shoulder? Because I saw your Instagram video, and it uh, looked like you were straining a little bit. So I just want to put out there that that was my last set. Um, and, you know, so that's why I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so um, but I, I love the fact that I can joke with Pastor B. Like, uh, he texted me last night and it's like um just a reminder man a guy you do remember that you need to preach uh tomorrow and i was like lol i forgot and then i sent him like this face that was like <laughs> you know I mean? he's like oh you got jokes it's always you know what i mean um and so uh you know uh for for you know i always say this when i'm up here but for pastor b to be the type of pastor who wants to groom his ministers um not just in in witnessing uh, or ministering, but also to prepare them for um, stewardship when they too, you know, maybe one day, I don't know, um, me and Nikki have discussed this, but we don't want our own church uh, or to be pastors, but should God, we are not our own, we are God's, um, and should God put us in that position, we will be prepared because you took the time to groom us in this fashion, um, and so I thank you for that. Um, <clears throat> I don't take this opportunity lightly. I've been telling Nikki all week this is one of the most complicated things I have ever been given to share with God's people. Uh, so I hope I do it justice. I have a lot to get through. So excuse me if I skip the formalities um, and just go right into prayer. Uh, Father God, we thank you on this morning. Lord God, for this word that you have given um, to me to give to your people to feed your sheep and whatever 
Dear Heavenly Father, you have to say through your Holy Spirit, I pray that I just greatly decrease in this flesh, that your spirit rise up within me to speak what thus saith the Lord unto your people, that, dear Heavenly Father, your voice may be heard clearly, not my voice, but your voice, Lord God, that your people may leave here filled with, dear Heavenly Father, your spirit, with your inspiration, with your word, with your motivation, Father God, for whatever you need them to do, Lord, and whatever they face throughout this week, may they be able to just go back and, and open the refrigerator and pull out whatever you have left over for them to pick from this word, Father God, that they may be fed, that they may be full, that they may be reinvigorated revitalize their heavenly father re-energize to to just continue to do kingdom work and kingdom building in this hour and this season and lord god we thank you right now in the mighty name of jesus amen <clears throat> um so if you have your bibles and you'd like to turn with me uh to the book of judges so put a finger in judges chapter 13 uh we're going to read the fifth verse and the 24th verse and then we are going to read First uh, Samuel, the first chapter, verse 20, and then First Samuel chapter 2, the ninth through the 10th verse. So that's Judges chapter 13, verse 5, and Judges chapter 13, verse 24, and then First Samuel chapter 1, verse 20, First Samuel chapter 2. Verses 9 through 10. Um, while you're getting it, uh, once again, uh, I, I was telling Nikki that it was it was just funny how the Lord was just um, giving me this word and how he was breaking it down. And, and so I knew for two weeks that um, I had to preach because Pastor B was saying uh, when he finished up his uh, lesson on relationships, his series on relationships, that uh, this was something that I was going to have to be prepared to do. And so um, as I was reading uh, in Judges, I was studying just Judges. Sometimes I just go back and I, I just study in Judges and this, this thing popped out. And so um, as this had popped out, I, I, I was oblivious to something that he was really trying to show me that had nothing really to do with the book of Judges. And so the title of this message um, originally was The God of the Long Game. Um, and you'll understand that. But if I could, uh, because this is something he gave me on Thursday that just kind of made it even more complicated. Um, and it just began to it. it Even though it became more complicated, it shined a light bulb like you get. Oh, that's what you was doing. Um, and so if if you want to put if you're taking notes, uh, if you want to put under the God of the long game, put the tale of two Sams. So in the book of Judges. Chapter 13, verse 5, it says, uh, this is the angel of the Lord speaking. The angel of the Lord, uh, to give you context, is a theophany. It is an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, so we have him speaking to, um, to Samson's uh, parents, telling her, his mother, basically because she was barren, that she will have a son. Right, And he says, uh, for lo... Thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. If you don't mind writing in your Bible, underline that, begin to deliver. Judges chapter 13, skipping down to the 24th verse. And the woman bare a son, because God told her it was going to happen, so obviously it's going to happen. 
uh, and the woman bare a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the spirit of the Lord began to move, uh, began to move him at times. Underline that word at times in the camp of Dan between Zora and Eshtol. Jumping over the first Samuel, the first chapter, verse twenty. This has already been uh, to give you a little context and background. Hannah, Samuel's mother. Uh, has been praying in the temple. She was thought to be drunk. She was barren. Uh, make a long story short, she prayed to the Lord. She promised that uh, if God gave her a child, that she would give him back to the Lord and that he would be a Nazarite also from birth, much like Samson. Um, this is where the context for me was drawn for the message that is given today. Wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come, about after Hannah had conceived, that she bare a son and called his name Samuel saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. Jumping over to 1 Samuel chapter 2, the ninth through the 10th verse. He will keep the feet of his saints. This is, uh, Samson, this is Samuel's mother speaking again. This is Hannah. This was her song and her praise unto God. Uh, and she says, He will keep the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength no man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces, out of heaven shall the thunder shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, and he shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Uh, for those of you who know the story, uh, not to get ahead of myself, you'll recognize some of the things that she's hanging here, if not all, to be prophetic. Um, so as the Lord was giving me this, um, he directed me to look at a chessboard. Uh, if anybody here is not familiar with chess, Chess is a game of, um, it's a board, eight by eight. There's basically two militaries um, on either side of a chess board. Uh, there are eight pawns. There are eight pieces behind those pawns. In most cases, those pieces are duplicated with the exception of the king and the queen. Um, try to relate much of what I'm saying to a spiritual aspect, so put your thinking caps on. Mm. I'm not the type of person who gives you all of the answers. I, I like people to think. Even when I'm teaching in just a regular one-on-one -on -one type of setting, I always ask questions. I always leave um, analogies and things like that. So I'm not the type of person who, who just gives you all of the answers. I, I like people that I'm talking to to think and to look at me like you're thinking. Um, so if, if some things are left blank, it's so that you can go back and do some work as well. All right. So in chess, uh, these pieces that are behind the eight pawns, the wall of pawns, um, are the rooks, there's a rook on either side of the board, there is a knight on either side of the board, and there are bishops on either side of the board. We'll say on either side of the king and queen. So you have two. You have two. Alright? Um, chess is a game of position. Many people play for pieces. Those people typically lose. You, it's not a game where you are looking to kill off the other person's side. The object is to capture the king. Because by capturing the king, you, by essence, capture the kingdom. doesn't necessarily make you king, but it does mean that you've captured their kingdom by capturing their king. And we see this even in the word of God. We see this, this fight going on between um, God and the devil, so to speak. Now, by no means are they equals. In most cases, when you sit down at a chessboard, the person sitting across from you is not your equal. I'll get into explaining that in a little bit. But by no means should we ever consider God and the devil to be equal and opposite opponents. God is much higher. God created 
Satan. He created Lucifer, and Lucifer took it upon himself to try to capture the kingdom of heaven, and by doing so, ended up being kicked out. Jesus says, um, I saw Lucifer, or I saw Satan fall from heaven in the book of Luke. He says that he saw him fall from heaven like lightning. So he saw him being kicked out. By no means, I want you to get that, by no means is the adversary an equal in any way to God. So many people play for pieces, and they try to capture different pieces on a chessboard. Um, the problem with playing for pieces is even though certain pieces are assigned a higher point value and he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and some teachers seems like they are assigned a higher point value. But then you have this person in the Old Testament called Hosea who wasn't even a prophet. He was seen to be called out of the sheep fields and you have pawns who seem to be able to make it to the other side who can be resurrected as queens. And queens can move in these these ways that uh, two other pieces, your rook and your bishop, your rooks can cut off the board. They move diagonally and or I'm sorry, they move vertically and horizontally across the entire length of the board. So by essence, they can cut the board off. You understand what I'm saying? They can cut the board off. Your bishops move on diagonal axis throughout the length of the board. Your queen can do both of those movements by herself. So she's a very powerful piece. I want you to think of the queen as, we'll say, the Holy Spirit, right? Because she can even, she can even uh, change the dynamic of the board. This is this is gonna, it, it'll all come together. Just give me a minute. I'm gonna work. I'm gonna work it for you. All right. So uh, in playing for position, um, it, it all depends on how your opening comes into play. Right, so you when you open up, you set up your wall of defense. You put your pieces in order. Uh, a chess is is very strategic, and so when you're playing for position instead of pieces, you want to fortify certain areas of the board. You want to strengthen your middle. You want to make sure your enemy can't get to your outsides, your your outskirts. Right, you want to try to cut off different avenues of attack. It's it's about positioning, and so uh, in positioning. Uh, once you have everything set up, then you start to recognize that certain pieces, you, you have to know how the pieces work, how they operate, how they move. Um, the Bible is very clear that God knows us, yes. right? He knows the intents of our hearts. He knows our thoughts afar off. He knows us. Uh, in, the book of, uh, in the book of 2 Timothy, Paul states that this solid foundation we have is that, that God knows those who are his right yeah, yeah. now it's not just a matter of knowing that Corbett is saved it's a matter of knowing intently the functionings of Corbett's heart the functionings of my heart the functionings of Pastor B's heart because he knows us our thoughts the intents of our hearts he, he knows us um, I, I, I get a little um, I'm, I'm very picky when it comes to the Word of God, and and by default, people are very picky with me when I'm interpreting or, or when I'm preaching uh, the Word of God because of the way that I am. But I, I get a little rubbed the wrong way when people say Joseph should not have told his brothers uh, his dream. Um, the problem I have with that is they already had a problem with Joseph prior to him telling the dream and God would not have told Joseph that because he knows us he would not have told Joseph the dream if he didn't know Joseph was going to tell them the dream which leads me to believe how else was God going to get someone like Joseph into position in Egypt without also without first telling him the dream knowing that he would tell his brothers knowing that they would be upset knowing that they would put him in a pit knowing that they that 
that he would be sold into slavery, knowing that he would then uh, be accused of rape in Potiphar's house, that he should have been put to death, but he was cast into a prison, and in one night he goes from the prison to the palace in a position of power, and no one ever saw it coming. Position and strategy. That's good. That's good. Right? That's good, preacher. Me and my wife, we like this movie called The Adjustment Bureau. In The Adjustment Bureau, for those of you who haven't seen it, I'm going to spoil the plot, so spoilers follow. Um, in The Adjustment Bureau, the whole premise of the movie is that uh, love triumphs even over God's assigned destiny. Right? That's the whole premise of the movie. The problem that I have with this movie is that God knows us. So in Job, if, if you've never read Job, Job is a book of vast wisdom far beyond what, what we've uh, come to believe it to mean um, by saying it's why good people suffer. But if you just read the book of Job, one of the things that he says in chapter 4, he says God does not even trust his, his holy ones. He does not even trust his angels and charges them with folly. So in this movie, there is one of the um, agents from the Adjustment Bureau. He's supposed to be watching this uh, candidate for senator or congress, and he falls asleep on the bench. And because he falls asleep on the bench, two people who were not supposed to meet initially end up meeting, end up falling in love, and now the Adjustment Bureau tries to fix this problem to adhere to the plan that the creator or the master in the movie has set into place. By the time you get to the end of the movie, the agent that fell asleep on the bench comes up to the two people and he tells them, no, it's okay now, the master has readjusted his plan. The problem that I have with this is when you're playing chess, Good chess players can think this is where I fit into. I can play a little bit. Um, I was taught from the time I was about uh, six or seven years old how the pieces move and operate. And so I've learned over the years to kind of visualize uh, where I want my pieces to be at least two to three moves ahead. Good chess players think two to three moves ahead. Great chess players think about eight to ten moves ahead. You're able to see that far in advance, knowing your opponent well enough that by the time I move this piece here, this piece here, this piece over here, I jump my knight over the wall, I bring my rook over and set in position, I set my bishop in a corner like a sniper, and I do all of this, and I should have him in position to be in check in about three moves from those eight moves. Great chess players, the best chess players Visualize the outcome and the ending of the game before any piece has ever been moved. God has reserved the future for himself. Come on. Nobody knows the future but God. Yes, yes. Pastor B said God hit play. God, God wrote the story or directed the movie years ago, rewound it and hit play. And now we're just watching it all play out because in the scripture it says God knows the end from the beginning. So before he even said let there be, he knew what was going to happen in yes. the end. Yes, the greatest way to study the Bible, in my opinion, is not to start with Genesis, but to start with Revelation. This is not just reading the Bible, but to study it is to start with Revelation. The reason I say that, because if it was there in the end, it was there in the beginning. And so you have to, when you study the book of Revelation, you have to actually go back and start looking, well, what does he mean when he says this? And why is it seven of these? And, and why, what does he mean well, that it will rain hailstones? Well, to give you a glimpse, uh, the reason God is doing the hell with these major stones is because corporal punishment in the time of Israel was what? Stoning. So he's doing unto them what they did to his prophets. You get it? So when you study the book of Revelation, you start to see things. Uh, as you study the book, you have to go into other books that are in the Bible and you see how cohesive 
the Bible is. So in studying, you see that God has already known every single move, every single piece on the board, even down to his opponent. If you read in Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel 28, you understand that God even knows the adversary through and through. Right? He, he begins to tell us these little things. There are parts of these chapters that are dedicated to just understanding our opponent. And he's, he's telling us that he had pipes formed in him, that there was no other, that there was no other angel that shined as bright as him. He starts to tell him even his own plan. It's a five point plan that he will rise above the congregation, that, that he will sit in the high places. Though these, these things in Isaiah chapter 14 that he tells him there, there are five different points that the devil makes. And God tells him, I even know your game plan. I even know what you're thinking. And so it's, it's a game of strategy and knowing your opponent. But more importantly, and I think the most important aspect of chess is something that novice don't necessarily grasp at the beginning because um, it, it's something that someone either has to teach you or it's something that you have to learn through failure. Um, the, the, one of the people, one of my greatest teachers in, in terms of chess uh, was my Uncle Wally. My Uncle Wally... Uh, God forbid he hear this. Um, he's clean now, but back in the day when he taught me how to play chess, he was a crackhead. And uh, <laughs> and um, and uh, it, it is what it is. Pastor B, it is what it is, right? And so um, my uncle Wally told me. He said, um, "You need to learn to invest in loss." I didn't understand that when he told me. Um, I was about maybe 10 or 11, and he said, you need to invest in loss, and I didn't understand what that meant. What he was telling me was, your greatest victories come from your greatest sacrifices. Um, and he was telling me to invest in loss because you learn so much more when you lose. I was playing at the time for pieces, and I just told you that pieces, even something as small as a pawn, when it makes it to the other side, becomes one of the strongest pieces on the board the queen right Gideon tells the Lord he tells him I am the smallest member of the smallest family in the smallest tribe why are you choosing me right and then he turns around and uses him not just to deliver Israel but the way that he delivers them is through using torches and trumpets and shouting that's it and they confuse the enemy. So when God is involved, think about what he's trying to show us in these instances. We're not playing for pieces. It's about positioning. And in all of the Bible, when you read in the Old Testament, even when you get to the New, I was talking to Pastor B about this on the prayer call, uh, and, and the, the members who attend the prayer call, that when Jesus is walking through the land, he's going to these different places, and it's about territory. He even goes over to the Gadareans. Why? Because that was the place where some of the tribes were supposed to inherit. And so he walks through the entire land ministering the gospel. He even walks through, we must need go through Samaria. And Samaria is inhabited with Gentiles at the time. Gentiles who are Jews who practice the uh, religion of the Israelites. They practice their religion because they thought, if you read, I believe it's in... Um, Second or First Kings or Second Kings, I believe. Um, if, if you if you do your research and look it up, you'll see where the Assyrians conquered Israel and they bought in these people and transplanted them into the land. And lions begin to eat the people, and they said, "We don't know what's going on. These are strange gods." And so they bought in the priests, the Levites, to try to teach them the ways of the Jews. Okay, so in positioning Jesus and in fighting for position at this time. 
he begins to walk through the entire land. Now, I'll take it a step further. Jesus has mastered the game, right? I just told you he knows the end from the beginning. Yes. So not only is he taking over the land, he says there's coming a time where we will worship God in spirit and in truth. Yes. How do we do that? Through his Holy Spirit, right? Yes. Where's the Holy Spirit? Within us. Mm -hmm. So Jesus already started playing not only for position, but also for pieces. Mm -hmm. So he's doing both at the same time. Why? Because you create position. Mm. If you move a piece, now he's, he's the one moving you. But if he moves a piece into position, if that piece is not in the appropriate position, it does not accomplish his task. So he needs to make sure you are right. So he's, he's not even playing necessarily to win the land. He's playing to win you. But he needs the land to, to kind of distract the enemy. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's position, but he's also playing for you. He's playing to win you. He's playing to get you back to him. So understanding that as we go into our story, uh, beginning with Samson, because remember I told you this is a tale of two Sams. Yeah. Right. So when we get into Samson, Samson is born and he's a Nazarite. What is a Nazarite? Well, Nazarite, if uh, if I believe it's in Numbers chapter six, he is someone who uh, cannot touch wine. In fact, we we kind of um, we kind of do it a disservice to say he can't drink wine. He can't even be around grapes. Basically, is the gist of what I got from reading it. He he can't even like he's not supposed to have grapes. Anything that grows on the vine, he's not. You shouldn't even touch it or be near it. And one of the first instances we find Samson is in a vineyard in enemy territory positioning keep in mind it's about positioning and we find Samson in a vineyard in enemy territory Peter says our adversary goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom, may, whom he may devour so what does Samson encounter when he is in the wrong place a lion he encounters this lion in a vineyard he's not supposed to be there because he's a Nazarite so he's not even supposed to be in a vineyard right. and he's in enemy territory in their vineyards and he encounters a lion. But even how many of us know that even when we are called by God for a purpose, even when we find ourselves in the wrong position, the spirit of God came upon Samson. So God will still deliver us. If, if you get anything from this story, I want you to understand that God is merciful. No matter what you have done wrong, no matter, no matter, no matter how bad you think you messed up, no matter how low you stoop, if you yes, repent, yes. God will come back to you and he will, he, he's obviously re, really never left you. Yes. It's not a matter of coming back to you, but he forgives you that we that if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us right but before you can even get there sometimes the enemy will attack you you've done something wrong and the enemy seems to attack you right he he somehow gets into your bank account he somehow uh, uh, gets into your children and has he somehow gets into your spouse and and he gets into your job and he has people messing with you on your job and you and you're like what is this all about what did I do wrong and God somehow still delivers you yeah. and it's supernatural yeah. right he, he, he says the Bible says and it's actually when you read it in Hebrew it's actually a definite article so it, it says um, in the King James it says he tore it as a goat but it, in, in the Hebrew it says he tore it as the kid and the kid was this uh, at the Passover feast where they would cook the, the lamb it's he tore it like that he tore it like a leg off of the lamb mm -hmm. like, he, like he was just about to 
delicious. Like he tore it like a piece of chicken off of the bone, right? He tore it that easy. And, and God will deliver you that easy. Yes, it's will. that simple. When, when God is for you, who can be against you? Even when you find yourself in the wrong place, even when you find yourself in the wrong position, you are still his. Look at, look at Israel. Right now, they, they don't even acknowledge Christ for the most part. But yet and still, he has his hands on them. They have the best air force. They have America giving them like 10, what is it, like 10 million a day. Right? We're, we're looking out for them in ways that most of us don't even understand yeah. why. And yet, here we are looking out for them because God has his hands on them. They are his portion dedicated to him so even when you are in the wrong God still looks out for you when you are his chosen you need to understand that everything that's going on in the book or in this story of Samson um, God is not reactive God does not react I just told you he knows the end from the beginning so he's not reactive yes. he initiates the conflict so there's a point in this story where it says even though he's in the wrong place uh, in enemy territory, he's considered by uh, most theologians' points, he's considered to be at least four miles into their territory. Even though he's this far into their territory in the wrong place, uh, when he's asking for the woman that he's asking for to his parents, the Bible records that his mother and father did not know that this was of the Lord, for he sought an occasion against the Philistines. Wait a minute. Um, we're not supposed to be unequally yoked, right? And yet this Samson's strange appetite is being used by the Lord to seek an occasion against the enemies of God's people. This is interesting because it says that God will use even those things that we don't think he can use to bring his purpose to pass, right? To further his program. He knows the end from the beginning. He's already saw the outcome of the game. So even when you find yourself in the wrong position and he delivers you and you continue to go into the wrong places, even after Samson destroys the lion, as easy as ripping a chicken bone away from the chicken, he turns around and he goes back and now he strike two, goes and finds honey inside of the lion. He's not supposed to touch dead bodies, anything dead. Yeah. And so he gathers honey from this lion wrong place in enemy territory and now you go back and you find honey in a dead place mm. there have been blessings that have come to us in this season um, that we had no idea I've never it just just as a sidebar I've never had a vehicle get repossessed and they send you a check <laughs> we had that happen <laughs> They repossessed our truck and then sent us a $1,000 check. How? How do you find honey in a dead place without God doing it? So here's this Nazarite, not supposed to be in the vineyard, but he's in the vineyard. God still helps him out of the situation. Then he goes, does whatever he's not supposed to do in the wrong place, comes back and finds honey in a dead place and something that he killed that's dead, that he's not supposed to touch. So he takes the honey and creates a riddle from it when he goes back. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to speed this up a little bit because it's, it's, it's really a lot. Like I said, this is one of those things that were very complicated uh, to try to understand and then teach uh, in this period of time. So he goes back and he creates this riddle 
um, for the Philistines. Now, mind you, the Bible is is it says companions when it talks about the thirty men who came to view Samson's wedding to this Philistine woman, right? He's not supposed to um, he's not supposed to be marrying a Philistine woman, but his reputation precedes him, and so it says they bought thirty. 30 men to be his companions. These men were not companions. They were guards. Mm-hmm. Right? So he poses this riddle. When he poses this riddle to them, they get upset because they have no idea what it means. He's basically saying to them, uh, out of out of the hunter came this sweet, uh, for lack of me, I uh, did not write the riddle down, but he says, I, this wasn't even a point. Um, <laughs> he... Um, he gives them, he poses this riddle to them, and it basically talks about how he got the honey out of the lion, right? They can't figure out the answer to the riddle because only he knows it. He didn't even tell his mother and father. Follow the logic. When I read the word of God, I look for patterns because patterns bring out points for me. Patterns say this is something like Pastor B. When he was reading the word of God, he said if something pleases God, he will do it again. Right. And so you start to notice patterns Uh, on the day of the dedication of the temple. There were one hundred and twenty priests. Right. On the day of Pentecost, there were one hundred twenty in the upper room. Right. And so when when Pastor B is correct, when something pleases God, he will do it again. But it's also a pattern. What is happening in those times where you see the same thing or you have the same collective elements? What is happening? There are two pieces on either side of the king. So what is happening? So he gives them this riddle. They can't figure it out at this feast. The feast is seven days long, right? They can't seem to figure it out. So they go to this woman that he is unevenly yoked to. The Bible says in Proverbs, to keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life, right? Some people will argue with me and say, well, he should have told his wife because they are one. Problem is, Samson has a purpose that he doesn't seem to want to adhere to. And he's looking to wed and God is looking to war. And yet God, even in, in, in Samson's um, in Samson's plans, God says, I'm going to use this to my advantage. I've got you in position. Right. I'm working my strategy. I'm doing what I'm doing for a purpose. You want to make God laugh. You tell him your plans. Mm-hmm. Right. So Samson has plans to wed. God has plans to war. And so he's not supposed to marry this woman and God still keeps his word. So he he can't marry her. So he goes and he tells her the answer to the riddle. As a result, she tells them. If you've read this story before now, now bear with me. This is a very common story. We've often I mean, there have been movies made about this story. Right. And we always paint it as Samson and Delilah. If I could mess with your theology a little bit and all the traditions that we have taught, been taught, this is the catalyst for why Samson falls to Delilah. Silence. That's what I expected. <clears throat> this, this issue right here, think about it. Even by the time he gets to Delilah, getting ahead of myself, even by the time he gets to Delilah, he's hurting because he had this happen. This thing where he told the woman that he was supposed to marry, right? He tells her his heart. He tells her his heart and she betrays him. She goes and gives it to his enemies. And by, and by as a result now, he now loses, not, and the, the, the scripture will bear me out, he not only loses the competition of the riddle where he was supposed to get 30 chains of garments from these men, he now loses his bride. Yes. 
And so he's 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 hurting. And so by the time he gets down to Delilah, the 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 history has painted it as a story of lust. They've painted it as a story where he's a strong man who just wants some uh, physical relief. And they've painted Delilah as this prostitute, and, and her name is Semitic, so she probably was a temple prostitute. But all in all, the, the Bible doesn't say it was about lust. The Bible records that he loved her. He loved her. Samson was weary. He was tired. He was fighting physically. A man who fights physically, he's, he's trying to do physically deliver these people. Yes, yes. And, and, and I'll take it a step further. I don't think that was even his plan to deliver them. Samson is very selfish. And when, when you really start to get into the character of Samson, even upon his death, when you start looking at when he dies and his hair begins to grow back, he says... Let me have revenge upon them for what they did, not to my people, not in blaspheming my God, but to my eyes. Let me get revenge upon them for what they did in taking my vision. So even in his death, he is looking for selfish reasons to get revenge. Right. Samson loved Delilah. He loved her and she vexed him. Only people who you love or or who are around you. He, she asked him these questions daily, right? So he was around her daily, all the time. So those people who are around you, David said, it wouldn't hurt so bad if they didn't eat at my table, right? My enemies are eating at my table. They're, they're the people I call family. Uh, um, I, I don't think I can say it here, but um, nobody, I'll say it in this, in this way, a diffamism. Nobody messes you over like family. Mm-hmm. Nobody. Nobody messes you over like family. Nikki says it's the ones that are closest to you that hurt you the most, right? Because those are the ones that have access to. Those are the ones who know better, right? They know you. They know your heart. They know your intentions. And maybe it wasn't even their intention to hurt you. It clearly was hers in this particular story. But in, in the analogy, maybe it wasn't even your family's intention to hurt you. It just so happens that things played out that way. And like I said, he knows the be he knows the end from the beginning. So maybe it was to push you in a certain direction because he saw occasion to have a reason to attack your enemies. Right? The end from the beginning. The common theme of judges the common theme of Judges, I said this on a prayer call, is every man did what he saw was right in his own eyes. And at this time, it, I just these, these are little things that stand out to me. Every man does what he thought was right in his own eyes, and they put Samson's eyes out. This is, like, I don't know what that means, but I just thought that that was cool. Like, like, every man does what he thought was right in his own eyes, and they put his eyes out. I thought that was funny. Um, I, I've skipped a whole lot. Um, and it was going to be good too uh, um, and so here here we find uh, Samson tells Delilah um, his heart she, she has vexed him day in and day out now, now here's the thing here's, here's the problem here's how I know he loved her because he tells her if you bind me with fresh ropes that have never been used then my powers will leave right my strength will go. She keeps asking him, number one, let's let's go back a little bit. She keeps asking him, where does your strength come from? Right? I told you this story has been told time and time again. Hollywood paints Samson as like this big muscle bound character like Lou Ferrigno or something like that, right? Like he's some bodybuilder. The problem with that is if um if you look like that, 
then why am I asking you where your strength comes from? I know where it comes from. I can see where the strength comes from. The problem is he didn't look like he should be able to do the things that he's done. I can count on my fingers and toes, Pastor B's fingers and toes, Corbett's fingers and toes, Nikki's fingers. I, I, and the, the analogy is I can't count how many times I've been told this. You don't look like a poet. You don't look like you should be able to do what you do when they put you behind the mic and say you got three minutes. You don't look like you should be able to do that. You don't look like you should be able to write the way you write. The reason I can do it is because the spirit of the Lord is within me and he enables me to do it. So when you don't look like you can do the thing that you're phenomenally gifted at, just know that that's the Lord doing it through you. He gives us that that this this is the this is the promise. This is the evidence that God's hand is upon our life that we can do more with less. Right? Point. There comes a time going back a little bit. There comes a time where um, in this story where Samson slays the Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, right? Many people miss this point. We always thought jawbone of a donkey, jawbone. We, we miss the, the, what's going on here, right? What God is, is really doing. And so at this time, the Philistines, because they are seafaring people, they have a, a major monopoly on the trade of iron. So they have the most advanced weaponry of their time. And yet he kills a thousand of them with something, something as simple as the jawbone of a donkey. Something that simple. So God will use you even with the simplest of things. Something as simple as preaching the gospel. Speaking to something. Things are coming against you in every type of way. And God says, just talk to it. If you say unto this mountain. If you tell this sycamine tree. Speak to it. Tell it it has to stop. The storms and winds are raging. Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. The boat is being tossed to and fro. The disciples are going crazy. Don't he care that we're going to die? We, we dying in here. Never mind that they're with Jesus and he has a purpose. And he's the one who said, let's go to the other side. They've already conceived in their minds that they're going to die. So let's wake up the Lord. They wake him up and he gets up and he tells the storm to cease. He didn't, he didn't magically grab the wind and was like, you know, you need to stop this. He didn't, you know, get a bunch of raindrops in his hand or, or touch the water. He simply spoke to it. With all the advancements and the knowledge that we have of the weather and what it does and the clouds and everything like that, something as simple as your word can stop it from happening. That's good. That's good. Getting back to Samson and his position with Delilah, he knows that she is trying to kill him. He keeps going to sleep and waking up in these awkward positions, right? If you bind me with new ropes that have never been used, if you weave the locks of my hair to the to the weaver's board, to the basically to the headboard of the bed, if you, if you do these things, and he keeps waking up, finding his hair tied to the headboard, he keeps waking up bound with new ropes. So he knows she's trying to kill him. The problem that I have with this is this is the book of Judges. Men of wisdom, men and women of wisdom. And he's doing foolish things. I had this conversation with this week at, with uh, a young man at my job where I explained to him that anger, the Bible says anger rests in the bosom of fools. Yes. And he said, it's, it's funny that, and I was telling him this uh, in regard to a specific person, and he said, it's funny that you say that because he's such an intelligent person. I said, your intelligence has nothing to do with being foolish. 
You can be highly educated and be foolish. You can be intelligent and be foolish. Wisdom is the application of knowledge, so it's not about what you know, it's how you use what you know. And if you have poor decision-making skills, you are by default foolish. And so he has the information knowing that she wants to kill him, that she is trying to figure out how to kill him. And remember, this happened before. Silence. Just what I expected. It happened with the woman that he tried to marry before, yes. where he told her his heart and by default lost everything. And so now she is vexing him daily, and yet here he is telling her his heart, all of his heart. There's a scripture in Proverbs that we kind of um, gloss over when we talk about a virtuous woman. And this is for the women, fellas. Just put your ears and fingers in your ears. Um, <laughs> That, that we kind of gloss over. Uh, it's in Proverbs 31, the 11th, um, the 11th verse. It says, The heart of her husband does, safe, does safely trust in her so that he has no need of spoil. Um, roughly translated, what that means is there are times in your marriage, I'm sure you can attest to this, uh, Nikki and I can attest to this, those of us who've been in, in marriage where the male will tell you things that he has not shared with anyone. He is telling you this um, for you to safeguard it. Mm, yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Because he needs to get it out of him because it's eating away at him. Um, he is telling you this in hopes, not that you won't tell anyone else, but that you won't use it against him. He has no need of spoil. It, it's, it speaks to him telling you his heart and being safe with it. That when, when you get angry, when you get in times of argument, you won't turn around and say, you like this because that man raped you when you was a kid. Or you like this because your mother, is, is, you know, she babied you so much. And it, you won't use that against him. Mm -hmm. He has no need of spoil. Mm -hmm. Right? So he can, he can tell you the depths of his heart because he's been told, keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it flows the issue of life. But if you are my heart, I can tell you mm -hmm. and you'll keep it and you won't use it against me. And so here he is telling this woman that he loves who does not feel the same about him, his heart. And she uses it against him. She ends up cutting his hair. I want to share with you something I thought was interesting. I'm not sure what ministerial value you can do with what you want with it. It was something that I actually stumbled across. The root word to Nazarite is Nazar. N-E-Z-E-R. Nazar means crown. In essence, Samson just wanted a place to lay his head. Right? With someone who cared about him. And isn't that what we all want? We want a place to rest. We want a place um, to just be able to, to disrobe, to take the crown off for a little while. And in essence, he tells her, if you cut my hair, I'll lose everything, right? Mm -hmm. He takes his crown and gives it to her, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. She cuts his hair. Fellas, I, I, I get it. We're just looking for a place. This, this is just a little bit into um, in the Pastor B's uh, topic of, of series when he was talking about relationships. I get it. I get sometimes we just want a place. Mm -hmm. it, heavy is the head that wears the crown. And we just want a place to rest. It's, it's not about lust. It's about where I can rest my head. 
right? And sometimes we put our head in the wrong lap. Mm, it's the truth. And we wake up with nothing. Mm. Make sure that the woman you are with, that the woman that you desire is God's choice for your life. Mm. I've told this, and I, I, I don't know why I'm sharing this. Um, I've, I've, I've told you this before. With Nikki, it was at the time, I've, three years before I even knew who Nikki was, I had this dream. In the dream, I was in this car, and in the front seat, um, my, my brother's uh, girlfriend's father was driving. And he leaned back over the seat and he said, Nikki's your chosen one. And just kept driving. <laughs> and so I'm sitting in the back seat of the car in this dream, you know, not thinking nothing. I wake up. The only Nikki I know is my brother's girlfriend. And I know that ain't the one. Right? Three years later, Nikki walks into a church where I'm hosting an open mic. And I hear, Nikki's your chosen one. I don't even know her name at this point. But I see her. And I hear that that saying in my head, Nikki's your chosen one. So, now mind you, I know everybody around Nikki at this point, but I don't know her. God has already positioned God has already positioned me to meet her grandmother, to meet her favorite aunt, right? I knew Frank and Nisi at this in particular time. I knew her cousins. I knew her stepdad who was trying to recruit me to be a part of his record label. I knew everybody that was close to her. The closest people to her. I didn't know her. And she walked in on an open mic one night. And I hear, Nikki's your chosen one. Something that I heard in a dream three years prior. Here we are 12 years later through all these ups and downs. And we're still together. Amen. So when it's right, when it's from God, it'll last. It'll work out. No matter what you go through, no matter what happens, it'll work out. I told you that there were there were two pieces on either side of the king. So here we have um, Samson is actually, even though the, the story of Samson is not the last chapter in the book of Judges, he is the last judge mentioned in the book of Judges. After Samson, there are no more judges mentioned. And then we come to 1 Samuel. And Samuel was born under um, similar circumstances. He's still born in the time where the Philistines are oppressing the Israelites. Right, because the Bible tells us that Samson would begin to deliver his people. Right now, Samson was doing things for selfish reasons. He was doing it to get revenge on them. He was not doing it as unto the Lord or trying to seek the people. I'll I'll, I'll put it to you this way: Samson's heart reflected the heart of the people. That even when, in most cases, when a judge was raised up, Israel formed a military to go fight the people once the judge was raised up. Case, Gideon, uh, Othniel, uh, Jephthah, uh, all of Deborah, all of these different judges have military backing. The only time a military is formed in Samson's story is when they come to collect him. That's weird, right? Selfish. They were content with being oppressed because they had fallen so deep into sin. Which, and this is this is for the for for the person who is um, in a backslidden state. You can be so content and so deaf to the convictions of the Holy Spirit that you just become comfortable in the oppression. And you stop listening. You stop feeling the conviction. You stop caring. And you start delivering what was God's into the hands of the enemy. 
is so much wisdom in these stories, and we just we f we file it down to the one point that appeals to our flesh, yeah. or the yeah. one point that we can understand. But there's so much going on in these stories, and we yeah. we leave them at the back door of our childhood because it's what we grasped as a child. This is what grandma taught me. I'm I'm famous for that. My grandma was a very wise woman, but one of the things that she always taught me was look deeper, find out what's really going on. You know what I mean? Um, so when we get into the book of, of First Samuel, we find similar things going on to where even the priest seems to be, once again, man who is blind. Everyone's doing what is right in their own eyes. So the priest Eli, his perception is off and he's going blind in his old age. Can't really see. Right. So it's, it's almost it's almost like it's pointing to Samson a little bit. He has a barren mother, Samuel. Right. These, these, uh, I call them the two knights. I consider these to be knights because knights move in an orthodox manner. They don't move in linear lines like uh, the rooks or the bishops do, or even the queen who has multiple directions that she can move. They move in one, two, one. So they can jump over pieces without capturing them and get behind. They can infiltrate, right? They move in sevens. Okay, somebody will catch that. They move in sevens. They move in sevens. Thank you, Sister Cheryl. They move in sevens. They move in like L's, right, in any direction. So they can move in like a seven laid down, a seven standing up, a seven on its back, any direction. All bases covered, right? So both are born to barren mothers. Both are Nazarites. Both are judges. Samson is the last judge mentioned in the book of Judges. Samuel is the last judge of Israel. You see the pattern starting to form. Samson is not only the last judge of Israel, he is first in that he's the first national prophet. So this is a period of transition, right? And, and for some of us, this can be a rocky road when we start to transition into different areas of life where, where God is calling us to leave this alone. For me, I can go into poetry. God is, has started to move me from doing poetry to move me into sharing uh, the gospel with just, and I've, I've always kind of done this, but from this position, it's been a little difficult doing it on the prayer call. It's been a little bit uncomfortable because now I got to make sure or doing it on the, the as the last word for Brother Corbin on the radio broadcast. It's been a little difficult and it's it's fast tracking too because I haven't always had to do this. I, I didn't have to have two words every week. Now I got to have two words every week and occasionally three in one week in order to be able to minister to God's people. And so it's and and it's it's not as short as three minutes anymore. And it's, and it's not a script anymore. Mm -hmm. Now it's you really got to be serious about studying this word because now you're not only feeding yourself, you're feeding God's people. And you got to make sure it's right. That's right. God forbid I give you some spoiled food. God forbid I give you something that ain't food. Mm -hmm. Yes. Creating even worse damage. You get what I'm saying? So so it's, it's, a, it's a period of transition and it can be uncomfortable for us at times. But if we lean and trust on God, he will get us through it. Yeah. Periods of transition can be very difficult. Um, one of these people are very selfish. The other one was born to be a servant. Well, both of them are actually born to be servants. One of them comes out selfish. The other one comes out selfless. Mm -hmm. Right? Because from birth, he's, he's uh, with his mother. She says that he will be a Nazarite. Right? Much like Samson. He will be a Nazarite. 
His mother dedicates him to the temple because that was the promise. She fulfilled her obligation to God. If you've made a vow to the Lord, fulfill that vow. One of the things that have kept, that have outside of just my love for Nikki, but one of the things that has always kept me holding on is I remember standing before, uh, I'm grateful for the witnesses who showed up, but I, I remember standing before God and said, nothing but death will separate me from this woman. Mm -hmm. Nothing but death. And I vow, I, I, I always value the vows that I had with God. Yes. Yes. Right? Between me and her, this is a covenant that was made before God. Between my wife and I. I didn't make that covenant with nobody else. I made it with God and her. That's why a threefold cord is not easily broken because that vow, you did I didn't just make it to her. I made it to God. Yes. And I want to make sure I fulfill that vow because God forbid something happen and I break a vow to her, I broke it to him. Yeah. As well. And so, ain't nothing like a slap from God. That's a huge hand. That's a huge hand. So, she fulfills her vow to God, and she gives her son to the temple. And co-pastor talked about this on the, um, on the prayer call uh, this past Friday about Samson's first calling. Here's the, here's the thing that we have. Samson, I mean Samson, Samuel sees a theophany even as a little boy. He sees Christ. I'll prove it to you. When the voice of the Lord is calling Samuel, he goes to Eli. He goes to Eli, I believe it's three times, right? He goes to Eli. The last time he says, here I am, Lord. The Bible says, now mind you, these are visual actions, right? The Lord came and stood, came and stood. Which means it's a physical presence. Samuel saw this early on. So as from, from the time he was a kid, he's called to serve the Lord. And he grows up doing temple service, serving people, right? Serving the minister, serving and, and don't 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 belittle your service to the minister that you are placed under. Yeah. There are little things that I'll do that I, I won't share with you that I do them because I'm not one who likes to stand before people and say, I do all of this right. for people. And, and Nikki will tell you, there are things that I do for people I won't even tell her because I'm, I'm big on not receiving my reward and what you think of me. Yes. I'm big on doing it in private and letting God reward me. Yes. But there are things that I do for Pastor B that you probably don't even see or know that I do. But I do them because I want to make sure I have a humble heart. That I'm not trying to usurp this man's authority. Yeah. That I'm not trying to do anything to make him feel like less of a pastor or unworthy of the calling of God. Because we can do that as servants under people. We can make them feel like they're less. And I don't, Pastor B is a great man. Yeah. Before he's yeah. even a great preacher, a great pastor, I've seen his life. He is a great man. Yes. Period. And so you don't want to be around people or underneath someone making them feel like they got to do this. Where are you at? Mm -hmm. Yes. You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like you're trying to take them out. Mm -hmm. That you're, you're called to safeguard those people, to help them, to hold them up. Mm -hmm. Right? Joshua held up the hands of Moses. He yes. held up his arms. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right? Or I'm sorry, not Joshua, but uh, Aaron yes. and, and I believe it's Miriam mm -hmm. uh, held up the arms of Moses so that Joshua could get the victory down in the field. Right. And so we're, we're called to, to, to be servants at whatever level we are at, even when we get to the level of pastor where Pastor B is. And that's one of the things that he continues um, to even minister as he grooms Nikki and I. It's, it's that we continue to be humble, continue to be servants. 
You are not called to be served. You're called to serve. Christ gets up from the table, throws off his garments, wraps himself in an apron and begins to wash the feet of the disciples. Right? This is a picture of what God did when he left his throne, wrapped himself in flesh, came down and began to cleanse us. The dirtiest parts. Peter says, not only my feet, but my head. He says, I only need to wash your feet. Why? Dirtiest part of the body. Your feet. At that time. Right? So, be servants. Your, Your father came from heaven to serve in the form of Christ. That's our that's our job to serve. As a result, one fights. I'm I'm gonna speed this up. One fights physically. The other fights spiritually. Right. So we we see the similarities and the contrast, the thing that forms the pattern, and then they start to break apart because God is showing us something here. He's showing us that Samson had a heart problem that reflected what the people had, a heart problem. I'll I'll fast forward. These people, um, they lose the Ark of the Covenant. I had you underline at times because... Uh, when you read the story about, when you read the scripture about Samson, that the spirit of the Lord came upon Samson at times. Um, The enemy sees in the spirit. So he saw when the spirit of the Lord would come upon Samson. So one of the first things that happened when you see Samuel is the enemy takes the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God. When they take the presence of God, they feel as if though we got him now, even though there's a new Sam in town, we got him now because we got the presence of God. However, they did not understand that this was not a physical fight. It was a spiritual one. And so Samson calls the people to Mizbah. Why Mizbah? Mizbah is where Jacob and Laban uh, created a covenant of two people who have a emotional bond together, even though they are separated. And so it's a place of remembrance. Remember the covenant. Remember the bond that we have. He calls them to a place where they should remember their God. They pour out water as an outpouring of their their heart in regard to their sins. They sacrifice a lamb to show their dedication. They fast all day to show their commitment and their desire to be stronger in the Lord. Right? And then they go out and they get the victory, not through swords and spears. They get it through prayer. I thought that was very interesting. Going back to uh, Samuel's mother's prophecy who she probably didn't even know she was just praising God at the time but remember I told you you have to speak to a thing Mm -hmm. she spoke that God would thunder from heaven and that's how they beat the Philistines God thundered from heaven and confused them all from a prayer all from a foretold prophecy that was actually just praise she was just praising God and prophecy came forth Mm -hmm. sometimes when I see Nikki even in the house Nikki will just be walking through the house and she'll be she'll be praising God and she ends up prophesying out of a praise. Right. God is dealing with the hearts. Why am I telling you all this in my closing? Why am I telling you all this? Because a lot of what's happening then is happening now. People are doing what they feel is right in their own eyes, not even consulting God about what the decisions that they make. And these could be day to day decisions. We're not even consulting God. We, it's, it's almost like we don't even care. Right? Um, and, and we have crazy leaders. Leaders who are doing whatever they think is right in their own eyes. Whatever, whatever they can do to fill their pockets. Right? There's a, there's a story in Judges where it basically talks about this Levite. And, and, and he, um, he basically becomes a priest in a man's house for the sake of money. Right? He does this simply for the sake of, of filling his pockets. And so 
um, even even some of the church leaders, even in God's own house, they're just looking for gain, and they're perverting the word of God, and God is tired of it. Yeah. And so I believe, I believe that in this hour we are going to start seeing miracles like never before. Yeah. We are not going to see them because we have been the most faithful people, but we are going to start seeing them because darkness is abounding even the more. And where wow. darkness abounds, grace will abound even yeah. more. Yeah. And so that's why you see in the Old Testament where you see miracles happening so much, even when Jesus is walking the earth, one of the things that you see during Jesus' time is so much demonic possession. He's casting out demons left and right. John records that he couldn't even record how much like there would be an eternity of books had he recorded everything that Jesus did in that three year period right of the demons that he cast out of the people that he healed but you're going to start seeing miracles beyond miracles things that you never thought you would see because of the darkness that is abounding because you're, you're going to start seeing people who you would, we're already seeing it uh, with, with children walking out of school. You're going to start seeing kids ministering the gospel yes. and evidence of the spirit of the yes. Lord being upon the children yes. as they minister yes. by yes. miracles. Yes. Right, you're gonna start. You're gonna start seeing this because darkness has abound, and God is looking for faithful people. Yes faithful people, people who won't be afraid and you think the divide is bad now between black and white, people of color and uh, white people you think that that's bad? Wait until you start seeing the divide between Christians and non-Christians yes. Yes, exactly. and, how, and how bad that's going to get and that's when the real children of God are going to have to stand up and one of the scriptures when I first, like when I was first really serious about, about God uh, it's the only time I've ever called a pastor to ask them, what does this scripture mean? And I was not satisfied with the answer at the time. Um, but it's Romans, 18, it's Romans 8 and 18, where it says the creature er awaits the earnest expectation of the creation, right? And, or are the sons of God, right? And so I wanted to know what that meant because I didn't know what the creature was. I thought we were all God's children, and so things didn't make sense. But the world, if you listen closely, the world is groaning for God. They're groaning for God's spirit, for people yes. who represent yes. him to show themselves true. That's why we got all these superhero movies right now. People are looking for the miraculous. Yes. Yes. People are looking for the miraculous. Yes. We have the spirit of the miraculous. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, there's coming a time where you're, you're going to see it. And it's, it's pressed upon us so serious right now. I, I, I've, I, I'm... Like this ain't even in my notes. What's in my notes is actually um, Second Chronicles, and I want to read it to you because I don't want to mess it up with my nerves. Second Chronicles fourteen, Second Chronicles seven fourteen. It's a familiar passage of scripture that if my people who are called by my name uh, would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and will hear their land. And that's it. God is not looking for you to physically deliver yourself in any way. He is looking for you to seek him, to remain humble, to turn from any sin. We won't be perfect until we get to the other side. But what I think God means is sin, when he, when he talks about sin, is blatant disregard for his word. Blatant disregard for what he has commanded you. For instance, my kids sometimes, you know, being children, they will knock over um, a glass on the table, right? Nikki and I has all, have always made it a point not to, like, holler at them because they've done this, 
right? Because it's an accident. It's a mistake. They slipped up. They're not perfect. But if Josiah or Nari or Nehemiah blatantly picked the cup up and turned it over, then we got a problem because you blatantly did that. And I think that's what God means when he says, turn from sin. Don't blatantly pick the cup up and turn it over. God bless you. Amen. Are you in need of an encouraging word to start your day? Do you need someone to pray in agreement with you? Here at Restoration Christian Ministries, we offer our daily prayer call, Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. Eastern Time, where members of our ministry team will lift you up as you head out into the course of your day. The phone number for our prayer call is 641-715-3645, and the PIN number to dial is 500-765, followed by the pound key. Be encouraged and stay encouraged with our daily prayer call at 641-715-3645. Don't forget to press 500-765 and the pound key for our prayer call at Restoration Christian Ministries. For listening we hope that you are encouraged by god's word and will tune in next time to this station for our sunday service at restoration christian ministries stay encouraged and have a blessed week Celebrate Halloween with dressed up donuts from Dunkin', like the spooky sweet Halloween spider donut. Trick or treat! Aren't you a little bit old to be trick or treating? Uh, no. This is, uh, it's just a really good, uh, costume. Anyway, I hear you're giving out Dunkin' spider donuts? Didn't I just see you with your kid? No, that was just, uh, my friend. Psst, Dad, is it working? Run to Dunkin' all month long for the Halloween spider donut and get 10 Munchkins donut hole treats for $2. America runs on Dunkin'. Limited time offer, participation may vary. Celebrate Halloween with dressed-up donuts from Dunkin', like the spooky sweet Halloween spider donut. Trick or treat! Aren't you a little bit old to be trick or treating? Uh, no. This is—it's uh, just a really good uh, costume. Anyway, I hear you're giving out Dunkin' spider donuts. Didn't I just see you with your kid? No, that was just uh, my friend. Psst. Dad, is it working? Run to Dunkin' all month long for the Halloween Spider Donut and get 10 Munchkins Donut Hole Treats for $2. America runs on Dunkin'. Limited time offer. Participation may vary.